everyone. Welcome to K-Pop Bookshelf. This is Mina, the host of this podcast. We are still on hiatus from covering books for a bit, but we will be getting back into it soon. We are in the middle of reading more books and we are planning some great episodes in the future. But in the meantime, we have another bonus episode for you. This one is about the documentary Super Junior, The Last Man Standing. Super Junior is a still active second generation K-pop group. They were one of the quintessential groups for the Hallyu wave of the 2000s. Some of the groundbreaking things they did include being the first group to debut a non-Korean K-pop idol, the first group to debut subunits, and the first group to do an independent South American tour, touring four countries in South America in 2013. I myself actually first saw Super Junior, or Suju as they are sometimes called, at a super show in Argentina in 2018. Super Junior was originally formed as a project group known as Super Junior 05, as in the year 2005 with the plan to replace all members during the following year and re-debuting as Super Junior 06 with all new members. The plan was to re-debut each year with all new members every single year. This plan was a rotational member system that also became the plan to a certain extent with the much newer NCT groups. Super Junior were never intended to last very long, but the idea of making them a group with rotating members was abandoned, and they are now on their 18th year since debut. Along with being idols, so many members are seen in Korean media as actors, radio and TV show hosts, MCs, panelists, judges, or participants in variety and reality shows. Some members are also frequently cast in musicals, and many are in various subunits and have released solo work. Also rather notably, all Korean Super Junior members completed their mandatory military service for the Korean military back in 2019. This was a process that took 10 years, starting from the first member's enlistment to the youngest member's final discharge date. For this episode, I'll be joined by a friend to discuss them, but we wanted to note a few things before we dive in. A content note, particularly for Super Junior fans, is that we will not be going into great detail when talking about some of the more dramatic incidents that happened to Super Junior members. We also will not be mentioning all members past and present of Super Junior, since we are going to keep within the scope of what was covered in the documentary. A content note for everyone, we will be talking about car accidents, near-death experiences, and death. My friend and I were speaking kind of off the cuff and trying to pull things from memories and our scattered notes and things we saw and read and heard, so if you note any discrepancies, inaccuracies, or errors, this is the reason why. If you need more information on anything we mentioned, you can look up the details or watch the documentary. Let's take a listen to our recap of the documentary Super Junior, The Last Man Standing, now. Hello, everyone. I'm joined today by my friend Ash, who is a K-pop fan. We will be discussing the documentary Super Junior, The Last Man Standing. Hi, Ash. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. So this documentary, just to let you know, is by Disney Plus, but in the US, Hulu is the streaming service that is streaming it. And if you don't know who Super Junior is, they're a second generation K-pop group. They were one of the groups considered to be part of the Hallyu wave in the sense that they made K-pop really popular abroad. Right, Ash? Mm-hmm. Okay, so we will be giving spoilers for this documentary. So if you haven't watched it yet and you don't want to hear it, then make sure to watch the documentary, which again is on Disney Plus, pretty much everywhere else, but on Hulu in the US. I know, I hated that. I know, I don't know why they did that. I was so nervous. I think I told you, I was like, I couldn't find it. And then my <laughs> friend was like, oh, it's on Hulu in the US. I was like, oh. Yeah. And Ash, let's back up for a second to say that the fandom for Super Junior is called Everlasting Friends. Yes. The ELF is the acronym, which stands for Everlasting Friends. 
No, well, yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> is elf. <laughs> elf. I was trying to say elf. My God. Okay, we're very prepared. And so, how long have you been elf? Oh, 2009. It was sorry, sorry. Like, like a lot of people, I guess. Sorry, sorry. And then on. And then what about you? Oh my God. So I didn't get into K-pop until 2017, but I swear I saw the music video and I heard Sorry, Sorry, like somewhere. And I have no idea where, like I had a very, when I saw it in like 2017 or 18 or something, I was like, oh, I, I know this song, but I don't know how or where or why. You know, maybe because I do remember like, do you know Nickelodeon's Kids Choice Awards or whatever? Yeah. Super Junior won an award like during that time. So oh, maybe- really? in between all of that that's where you heard it maybe one thing to know about super junior is that they have had quite a few lineup changes so originally they had i don't even know if you can say originally they had 13 members and then for a while they had 15 members and now they have Mm -hmm. nine official members so as of this recording because god knows it could change again the members are itook he's the leader hichol yesong shindong siwon or siwon he sometimes says siwon himself Eunhyuk, Donghae, Ryok, and Kyuhyun. And Super Junior debuted on November 6, 2005. And the documentary consists of archival footage from like their pre-debut and trainee days, as well as present-day interview with Super Junior members themselves. Also, SM Entertainment staff and music journalists, who I guess are experts of K-pop, are featured in the documentary. Ash, what did you think of that? the way they did the documentary with that the kind of footage and interview? Oh, it was really interesting because as you mentioned earlier, I was a fan since 2009. So a lot of it I've seen already. I think something that was new was when they showed the pre-debut photo shoot, like when they entered and stuff like that. I really like that. And then just like hearing from like just staff what they saw. Because, you know, as fans, we see one thing. And then even though there's, documentaries variety shows how much as they share they don't share everything so just having like almost this different perspective of them was really nice to see especially before they debuted yeah that was really interesting my cousins are big k-pop fans and they're pretty young so when super junior debuted they were very young (laughs) they were watching it with me and they were so shocked that there was all this footage of them pre-debut even back then in 2000 years leading up to 2005 They were like, I can't believe they filmed this. I can't believe they still have it. And I was like, well, I think they monitor trainees all the time. And so they must, they must do that like thing of like filming them 24 seven from the moment they start training. Right. So for evaluations Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So the documentary is set up in two episodes and the first episode focuses mostly on their pre-debut time, their training years, and just like trying to get to that point of debuting and the stress of that. And then the second episode focuses a little bit more about their personal lives, their careers overall, because they are not just idols. They actually are kind of multifaceted entertainers. And then also their fandom, which, as we said before, their fandom is Elf, Everlasting Friends. Oh, you know, I just remembered. What's you know, that? We were, we were talking about members. I saw this tweet. You probably saw this, too, like a few days ago, like out of Super Junior's entire life. I think they've only been complete for like less than a year. Did you see that? Oh, yeah, because of like military service and people rotating. Yeah, and then like QM being added and then like Super Junior M and all that stuff. I was like, oh, that's not what I would have thought of. I know. So as far as being a cohesive full group. 
first of all, I need to step back to talk about Isuman and his like neocultural technology vision of rotating members in and out. And I think we're going to get to that a little more in a minute. But before I get there, let's not jump ahead yet. Let's talk about their trainee years. One thing I want to mention based on my research for this podcast is the fact that super junior members for the most part were like in their teens Mm -hmm. for that IMF financial crisis that Korea suffered where yeah, yeah, yeah. So like a lot of them grew up in poverty or like a few of them at least did. I mean, not C1, but of course not. And so for them, and I'm not saying that this doesn't apply to some idols now, but it was like a particularly desperate time economically in Korea for everyone. And so a few of them, this was like their, not just like a dream, like I want to be an idol and I want to debut. It was like, I have to, to survive. Like I have to support my family. Yeah. And some of their family members I, I've heard, it was, this part was maybe not in the documentary, but I've heard like, their family members were too sick to work anymore or got injured or something. So then it really kind of fell on their shoulders, or at least they felt like it fell on their shoulders to do something to make as much money as possible to support their families. Yeah. Like I think Dongye mentioned that. And then Onyuk also mentioned that at some point. Yes. And also Yesong said in the documentary that in that frame, so the early 2000s, so they're second generation. So we had first generation HOT, Soteji and the boys, if you consider them an idol group, which I'm sure people do and like Chesky's and stuff like that. That was like probably their main idols to look up to, to have an understanding of like, what is an idol and what do they do? And so then right. that's what compelled some of them to travel from wherever they lived to go to Seoul to audition. And Yesung mentioned in the documentary that at that time in the early 2000s, idols typically were never expected to last more than five years. And what's unique about this and why I think Super Junior got a documentary as opposed to like, because there's other worthy, super worthy second gen groups who could get a documentary because their lives are interesting, their history is interesting. But Super Junior has been actively promoting, albeit not like with all 15 members, but something doing something actively for this, their 18th year now since debut. Mm-hmm. The other thing that stuck out to me about this time frame was like the audition process. So Dong A talked about how he even found out because now... Oh, yeah. You talk about it, Ash. You talk about it. So it was like in a CD. So he found it like at the bottom of a cassette tape of SES or something like that, right? And then if you buy an album today, it's the same thing. Like, especially in that for international, there's like SM Global, you can go online, audition. And I was like, I don't know why, like, they really kept that system for like the last 20, 25 years. They did. And I was like, they just thought it's like oh you know like you just walk by you'd be recruited or it's supposed to but like i think only from donge i knew that he like he found the flyer in the cd and then just went yeah and also what i find interesting is like now because of social media you can you know someone might tweet out like we're such and such entertainment company we're looking for trainees we're holding Mm -hmm, global mm -hmm. auditions there are now different ways to find out about auditions not only inside your album but yeah donge did find this at the SES, which is a first generation girl group under SM Entertainment. And it's there was like an ad or something that said, we're holding auditions. And he took photos of himself, selfies with a disposable camera. And like these, these artifacts of time was killing me. Like, honestly, that was so funny because it's like, I had one in high school elementary, you know, field trips. And then like, I took a selfie style. It did not come out right. Because, you know, you had to go out and get it developed. So like, I don't know how he knew. I remember doing that and having to use up a whole roll because you were like, I don't know what is going to come out. Like maybe it'll just be my eyes. Maybe yeah. it'll just be my nose. And so you would just use up as much of the film as you either had left on the roll or just be like, I'm going to like waste money on a whole roll of film, which is very expensive. 
and you have to pay to get it developed and you have to wait however many days. And then you look through them and see what worked out, which didn't. And so he had some that worked out and he mailed them snail mail to SM Entertainment Soul. Yeah. And if you like know where he's from, he's not close to Soul. And think about the fact that this is, he was from a kind of humble, in terms of financially humble family. So you're spending money on film, you're spending money on development, you're spending money on postage. And then SM called him. Mm -hmm. So one thing I found interesting about trainee life in this time frame was we mentioned like typically you weren't expected to even be active for more than like five years, if that. And also the fact, I mean, trainee life is still really stressful. I did episodes about Jessica Jung's shine and bright, which I think really lays mm-hmm. out like how stressful it is to be an idol, to audition, be an idol and to be a trainee. But one thing Dong Hae mentioned, I think, yes, I might have mentioned it too, was that just like the comings and goings of so many people. So you're like a young adult, an adolescent, whatever. And you're trying to bond with you like it's like camp, it seems like to me at least, or like school. And you're like bonding with these people. And then they just the next day you wake up and they're not there anymore. They've been cut. They were sent on the first bus home. No. That's scary because it's like, okay, you're you're in there, you become friends, you train for a year, and then you're like, I'm out. Or no, no, not even I'm out. Like they cut me out. And then, like, what are you gonna do? I don't think that they gave them a chance to say goodbye, or like, I think they were literally just yeah, like, yeah, let's just like pack your bags and leave. So, one interesting thing. So, we were talking about like everyone here is just desperate to debut because debut is your only shot at possibly being a famous idol and earning any amount of money that you send back again for survival for some of these trainees, not just like a whim or a dream, not to like play down people's whims and dreams and aspirations, but like. I do think that for anyone at whatever time frame who are who are doing this for survival reasons or like this is my last option, like this is my only option, it's got to be so much more dire. And so the thing that Super Junior went through was that they kept being put to like assorted groups, which would then get their debuts would get canceled. So I remember one that Lee Tuck and Dong I really talked about is they were supposed to be in the group called Smile. I think like two or three other ones supposed to be so like a group of five and then they did the jacket they did the photo shoot they recorded an album and then literally the next day axed the debut was axed yeah the debut was axed. the debut the whole thing and then i don't know about you i was heartbroken because like assuming they're like what 15 16 or like i'm the older like about to debut and then like you're reaching your dream and it's like gone and then what really got me mad was they were like oh we canceled the view, but here's a box of pizza. Have a pizza party. God. And then um, supposedly the Kichol was supposed to be in the group too. Yeah, I think he was supposed to be in tracks or something. Then I got canceled. The thing about canceled debuts is like, unlike what we were just talking about, where like, you know, pack your bags and go. You're you're not having to leave. Like they didn't send Itook, Donghe, or Hichol away. They were just like, okay, this right. group is not happening. The group smile is not happening. These songs you recorded, we're throwing them in the trash or wherever they put them in the archives. These pictures we took, they still right. have the photos with this group never, ever even... You just never see I it. I think that's so weird. And how do they make that decision? And they didn't give them any explanation at all whatsoever because they're like kids. I'm so curious that they still never, even within this documentary, no one answered the question. It's like, why and how did people make a decision of like, oh, okay, we put this whole group together. We decided who's going to be the leader and who's going to be the whatever. And we're going to like film this stuff. Just kidding. We're not going to do that. Like there was no explanation. Yeah, like so much time and effort was put into this and then nothing. And so they were all, everyone who experienced this, which I'm sure like possibly other second gen trainees under SM might have experienced the same thing, were kind of in the state of frustration. So some of the members also had 
did debut, but not as singers. I know Siwon was an actor in the documentary. You saw it too before, like was it months or so before debut? Siwon was doing a whole press conference in China promoting his recent drama, and he's like, he said, "I'm going to be in a group called Super Junior." He's giving that lots of love. And actually, I think for Siwon, that was like a movie. He was doing a movie in like a Chinese movie or something. Some of them were debuting not as idols or singers, but as actors. And I do want to make a point that there was everybody knows Chinese Key, and his real name is Kim Ki Bum. But Super Junior also had had a member named Kim Ki Bum, which is probably why Key has to go by Key because there's already like, right. a debuted Kim Ki Bum. But Kim Ki Bum was one of the first Super Junior members to actually leave the lineup. Just a fun fact. So then what goes on in the documentary is so like a couple people have debuted and and then when they were finally as- assembled as the group that would eventually become known as Super Junior, they were told that their name was going to be SM Junior, as in Isuman Junior is what Siwon said in the documentary. But they were told that the member lineup could change at any time. So it was from as early as then, if not earlier, that Isuman was like, let's have a group where the members change all the time. That's not stressful at all. I mean, I always thought <laughs> as a fan... I wouldn't want that. Like, why would you want... Right? What is this thought process? Like, I don't understand. Okay, like, look. Okay, so we have the same bias. So we both love Dome, right? And then, like, the next comeback, he's gone. Honestly, if I was younger, no more. Yeah, I'd I'd quit the whole fandom. I'd be like, bye. No, do you remember when NCT Dream was going to graduate Mark Lee? Yeah. But then they, I think... They brought him back. Yeah. Because the members, I think, and everybody, the fans, the members... So everyone's up in arms like what do you mean dream without mark lee and they're like yeah he's gonna graduate to just being part of one of the other millions of nct things he was in and then they brought him back and they're like not gonna graduate him out i don't know why he thinks that's like a good idea i know like on one level it's like they never get old it's like always like fresh young people to get like interested in but like i don't care like if i like a member of a group i just like them i don't care like if they have the super junior name on them or like the nct name on them like i don't care what their name is So then they started talking in the documentary about people who were like later to join the group. One of the people who joined late was Shindong. And a couple of things are notable about Shindong. One is that he's not, does not have the body type and body size of your typical idol. And he was still debuting as an idol and which was a surprise to himself. Yeah, it was a surprise because like, I remember him saying like he was going into the audition and wasn't thinking much of it, right? Like he was going in to dance. That and to be a comedian or something like that. Yes. I think I'm going to go a bit ahead of ourselves. I remember him saying, like, he wasn't surprised he didn't get a lot of, like, singing lines because of, like, he knew he was going to be the comedian. He knew that he was going to be rotated out sooner or later. So he wasn't, like, putting as much effort as he should have been. Because, like, yeah, it was a total surprise to him to be an idol and not a comedian or anything else. Yeah, because like you said, he didn't even go to audition to be an idol at all. He was just like, I'll do something. Right. I don't know. And they're like, nope, you're in Super G. <laughs> Stay here. Exactly. So at that time, not only was it normal for K-pop groups to not really last more than like, you know, five years. And nowadays, of course, we have that like seven year curse or whatever. But curse. Yeah. But at the time, it was normal for most K-pop groups to just have four or five members. And even before the lineup for SM Junior or Super Junior was finalized, Unhyuk was talking about rumors among SM trainees mm-hmm. being like, oh, did you hear that that new group's going to have 12 members? And he was like, what? No way. Yeah. And I was like, I think every day before anything was finalized, I kept hearing they have a new group or a new member rather joining them. I thought it was so funny when one of them, I forget which one was like, 
how would you sing? Like, how would you divvy up the vocal parts? Like, we're all going to sing like one syllable, like to have like 12 each vocal parts. Everyone... It's like really not even a syllable like each word. And then like, when they become 15, I don't even think they were 15 at one together at one point, but they were in China. That's right. That's too much. So they're training, they're doing the same thing they were doing when they were with Smile and these other groups that got canceled. They were working on choreography and recording music and developing their, you know, stage names or whatever and taking photo shoots. And the whole time they're like, we may or may not debut because we've been through this before. And they said like, your lineup may or may not be the people you're sitting in this photo next to. It was all leading up to something called the SM Showcase. And I don't think this was like an official debut, formal debut, I should say. It was like a showcase to decide whether they should debut from what I understand. Yeah. Because I know EXO and SHINee have talked about it before like debut and everything. So this was a thing. Yeah, it's like four internal bigwigs, I guess, at mm-hmm. SM. And I could be wrong. So something like that. And it's like, you'll perform in front of these bigwigs. And if you don't impress them, you're not debuting. Maybe you'll get canceled. Or maybe we'll decide like who will leave in and who will leave out. So this was especially crucial for Yeson. Yeah, so Yeson was really worried because I think even days before the showcase, he was worried he was going to be kicked out. And then like all of nowhere, Rhea comes in and like he was really good vocalist. Do you remember? It was like the day of the showcase. Yes, yes. Like they're like, here, go sing. What I really like though, with Yesung, even amidst all of this like worry of him being kicked out of the group, he's like, no matter what, I'm going to support this new member. And I was like, it's really sweet of you, but it's like, it's also like survival, you know? Yeah. This is a competition, as Jesse famously it's said. It's still a competition up until debut date. But he was really magnanimous about it. He was like, well, I'll support this new kid. It sucks to be new. Like that was his attitude at the time. Yeah, the other yeah. members were like, are you kidding? Ryuk is randomly there, added to the lineup at the last minute. He and it should be noted that both Ryuk and Ryuk, sorry, he's, his name's hard to pronounce, and Yesong are very strong vocalists. So this is like direct competition to Yesong. I can't even imagine being Yesong in this moment, being like, oh wow. And Ryuk is one of the idols I think to this day is famous for having a really short trainee period of time. Yeah, like what, a couple months? Yeah, I think only two months. And I actually have in my notes, too, that the other members, like, wouldn't greet him. They were just, like, inside of solidarity to Yesong. It's like with, um, well, not really, like, Kyuan. That's We can get to Kyuan later. Okay. So, anyway, the showcase is a big deal, and everyone's, like, freaking out. And Ryok is just like, hey, guys. And they're like, we don't know you. We hate you. And Yesong is like, oh, Lord. But also, like, kind of feels bad for him. And he's, like, the only one who ends up greeting him. And then the showcase happens. And it ends up being super successful. Spoiler alert. So <laughs> yeah. so then it's like, okay, now we're a little bit, we're still not debuted, but we're way more on the road to debut than we were before. And they've kind of passed the first most crucial test and everything's going well. So now in the in the documentary, they interview Tuck Yongjung. He's now, so he started out as Super Junior's manager, like since their right. trainee time and debut time. And he is now, what Ash, tell everyone. The COO of SM Entertainment. Yes, chief operating, I think, officer. I don't know what all the... Something like that, yeah. And he's in the documentary, which I find to be like, I don't know. It's crazy when you think about it, especially Super Junior's personality is really like... Yeah, I never get, I never special. get this. I never get it. Yeah, for their manager to be COO. And I think it was interesting. So they mentioned in the documentary that Yongjun, Tak Yongjun, COO, he used to be kind of like rough with them and like kind of cold mm-hmm. towards them. And I can imagine that. Imagine just trying to be like wrangling 
teenage boys or like boys in their early 20s. And you're probably like, oh, my God, they're so annoying. And then when this showcase goes well, he actually cried. Yeah. Okay. So some other members we haven't really mentioned, but I want to mention is a member called Hang Eng. Hang Eng. <laughs> yeah, he's Chinese. So he's not Korean. And Hang Eng is among one of the first, if not the first, Chinese K-pop artists to yeah. debut. And that was really unique and I'm sure really difficult for him. I mean... Again, this is before the time of like, you can go on YouTube to learn Korean or you have like, you know, Duolingo as an app on the phone in your pocket. No, this is 2005. You have to learn. Yeah, you have to like hope someone like shows you around and like talks to you and tries to, you know, sign language to you. On top of like possibly having Korean classes. Which I'm sure they did, but maybe they didn't organize that till after because this debut seems so thrown together to me at least. Oh, for sure. You know, it's like, I'm sure he did have it. It was after the showcase, they were, they confirmed like you are going to debut and mm. that includes Yesung. Yesung was told he was going to debut and you could just, he was during the documentary, he was like relieved like again, or like still, like, he was reliving the whole moment yeah. of like the stress. So during this debut time, they were pulling all nighters as they called it in the documentary where they're kind of in overdrive trying to prepare. This is when C1 was filming the movie and he was like at every press conference trying to be like, hey, check out my new group, Super Junior, coming soon. And then he was also like in a mm-hmm. hair and makeup chair holding a script, like on the set of a, of a music video, rather, holding a movie script, trying to like multitask. So it was just like a very hectic time for them. And then they debuted. Their debut song was called Twins. And their debut date was November 6, 2005. And they debuted on the Inky Gayo, on Inky Gayo. Mm-hmm. There's some like super endearing footage of them being like so baby filming the music video for twins. <gasps> Their memory of that day was so funny because Shintung's like, I don't actually remember the stage itself. I just remember like right before the stage, he's like, one minute I was on the stage and the next minute I was like, I was like, I've debuted. And uh, yeah, like the lights, right? And then it was gone. <laughs> and then yes, I was like, I remember every single second. They allow a certain number of people. So obviously multiple groups perform at a music show so if you're like a super junior fan then like only like let's say 20 i don't know what the number exactly is of you can come to the theater if you're tvxq fan another 30 if you're whoever and so they just were like okay we have our like 30 fans they go outside and it's like okay i was waiting for this one because i have that in my notes i wanted to cry for them i wrote this quote down do you mind if i read it oh sure so the scene you were sending up, they go outside of the venue or like the studio. All these fans come in and then you see blue balloons. And this is what Lisa said to them. I'll do my best until the blue balloons dominate the world. Uh. And then you see it and then like, I'm going to cry. And then you, you see like super shows. Don't cry. <laughs> and you're just like watching. When I was watching it, I just remember like. I mean, I haven't been to a super show. I know you have. I've only been to be on lives, like, just to see it. I mean, I have seen them live. So, like, a small, like, sapphire ocean is just so... Sapphire blue ocean, yeah. Sapphire blue ocean. It's, like, I guess seeing, like, from balloons to, to light. light sticks. Yeah. No, that is true. They they really edited that part well and made it emotional anyways. But it was, I agree, mm-hmm, it was super mm-hmm. emotional to see them, like, you know, these kids from, like, with, like, 2005 fashion outside the like front yard of a television studio waving balloons to go from that to like yeah. huge sold out like dome concerts with their light sticks official light sticks and stuff like that it was so cool and to go back to that day there was 300 oh i have down here 300 fans 
had entered the hall, like the the studio, I should say. Like the lobby. The lobby. Yep. And then 10 to, only 10 to 20 fans could be inside the actual, like where the stage and performance is happening. So they are like, okay, here's our, our 20 people. They go and see the 300 people. They heard rather like there's 300 people like in the building for you. Right. They go outside. There's 980 people. I think Unhyuk did the math or I did the math from Unhyuk saying something like, like in total, there's like however many people. I'm just trying to imagine logistically again, 2005. Okay. No Twitter. Like, how would you know? I don't know. Cause you were like, so like Siwon and Heechul were acting beforehand, right? I don't yeah. remember if any of their members were doing something else before the debut. So I'm assuming it's maybe. like, yeah, that's right. Kibon was also acting. So it's like, I feel like they assume just 20. But then, like, word just spread, right? Word spread. And then, like, 900 people. <laughs> I know. More than that. More than 100 people. They arranged buses with, like, their faces, like, full, fully plastered on yes. these buses. But it was, like, four or five buses were, like, just roaming around Seoul. I mean, they were, like, passenger buses. So other than the buses, I don't know how people knew. And if any OG elf <laughs> listening to this wants to tell us, yeah, that's how did you me. know? <laughs> how did you know that was that? Yeah, older than your fandom days. I mean, it was awesome. And nowadays, I feel like K-pop fandoms are so competitive. And I it's know. hard to compare, like, the stuff going on back then. It's really, now. yeah. Because the, the climate is so different. There's no social media. There's no, like, instantaneous mm-hmm. communication. There's no... I think that's also why younger K-pop fans, like, can't grasp, really. Because like, I guess, like, a way to compare it to a, a Western group is, like, One Direction, right? Mm-hmm. One Direction, whatever band was there at the time, like internet was like starting but then they had huge following you know what i mean this is 2005 like the internet barely broke the world and then there's like 900 people yeah it is like a totally different climate and to be successful with like i don't even know how (laughs) we're spreading word of mouth uh about them is shocking literally now one sad thing about their debut stage in inkigaya which again is brings us back to yesung who (laughs) yesung needs rights Rights for Yesung. Yesung needs rights. Stream Century Flows. Century right Flows, now. his solo album. Okay, anyway. So the, he didn't say this in the documentary, but you and I know that like famously either Isuman, I don't want, I'll say allegedly, famously allegedly, Isuman, don't come for me. <laughs> he's busy suing. He might. No, okay, so. He, he's ready after what happened at SM right now. Literally. Anyway, so he, him or someone else said, or, or thought of Yesung as like maybe not quite idol ready in terms of like looks or yeah, yeah. maybe vibes or I don't even know what really the problem was. But but Yesung has an amazing voice. Like his his name means art of voice. So I mm-hmm. heard. And so his face cannot be seen in that Inkigayo debut stage. Yes. Which what the heck? Like I get that there's twelve people on stage or whatever, but like what the heck? I, I guess it's it's related. Like do you remember they did this YouTube thing with kids? I don't know the show. Like ODG? Oh, yeah, yeah. And they like, it was KRY, right? And then those, they watched their debut stage, and then the kid asked Yesung, like, where are you? Oh, no. Or something like that. It was either he asked, like, oh, how come you're not there? Or Yesung told him, you can't see me. But you can hear me, but you just can't see me. I was like... That is heartbreaking. That's heartbreaking. What a, like, insult to injury after, like, yanking him around. No. During the showcase time being like, oh, we don't know. If you're even going to debut and here comes Ryuk and maybe he'll replace you. And then you do debut. You're on stage. He literally talks about, he's like, my mom was looking for me on TV. Yeah, and I couldn't see that. him. That was. Oh, that heart broke my heart. 
So then after their debut in Kigayo stage, they go backstage and they have the cake. And this is where Young Jun mm-hmm. was asked to be the one to blow out the candles because it's a celebration for him too. And I really thought that was like really sweet. And there's lots of stories to this day about how well they treat their staff members. The members of Super Junior treat their mm-hmm. staff members. Now they're debuted and they're not going to do, they, they, I think it's been confirmed that they're not going to cycle people in and out like they were going to NCT style with graduating right. or whatever. Thank God. I know. This very ill-conceived thing. Anyway, but someone else is here. Ash, tell us who's here. It's Kyoyeon. <laughs> so Kyoyeon's here. Yes. Kyoyeon is another one who barely trained. He just was an amazing singer and he debuted. And then they were like, guess what? Surprise, you're in Super Junior. And he was like, wait, what? Yeah, they both were like, wait, what? Both me, the other members and him himself. Yeah. Correct. Yes. Kyuhyun talks about how the other members were like, I mean, I think to be sort of fair, but not really, because I don't like hearing anyone getting mistreated or kind of like not treated well. But mm-hmm. the other members were pretty jealous. Let's just say they were just like, what the hell? Well, like, yeah, wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, I would. But like, it's also like I, it's this new this new kid, right? Then they they have to give him everything because your fandom is already so used to like 12 people. And now they have to learn a 13th member. Right. And he just kind of was like, hey, guys. And they were like, "Ew, no, who are you? Why are you here? They were really cold to him. And he says in here, he's like, I was their arch enemy. (laughs) He was their arch enemy. They were maybe not so nice. I mean, I think they toned it down for this documentary. Some of the like, oh, for sure. The welcome that he got. (laughs) They have a couple other songs, but one of their hit songs is the song Miracle. And to this day, they often like will end their super shows, which is the name of their concerts with the song Miracle. There's footage of them filming on a rooftop and they're freezing to death with their 2005 scene hair. Gosh, I know. Then they start debuting units shortly thereafter. And the first subunit in K-pop ever and in Super Junior is Super Junior K-R-Y. K-R-Y. Which stands for Kyuyeon, Ryuk, and Yesong. They also have additional subunits, including a trot subunit called Super Junior T, which they need to resurrect now because the trot renaissance is here. So, I like, know. I'm so, I want it. What's the whole Especially because, like, if you watched Suju Returns. Yeah. They did that trot. Episode. They, they can do it. They yes, should do it. That episode. There's also Super Junior Happy. I don't know what really that concept was, but the songs were kind of weird. There's Super Junior M. Before XOM. Super Junior M. <laughs> Ash is an XOL. Super Junior M, Super Junior Mandarin subunit. And they added some additional. So we already talked with Hanging, who is a Chinese member. They added Henry, who is a Canadian-Taiwanese guy, and Jomi, who is, I think, from mainland China. And they had plucked some of the members of the other, like, Korean members from Suju, and they toured a Suju M, Super Junior M. And they were extremely, extremely popular in China. Which is the point. That was the point of them, but there was some political stuff that then after that they Mm -hmm. couldn't promote in China anymore, and neither could XOMs. Yeah, that's right. That's why, like, they all just split up. The thing that annoyed me, though, because my favorite subunit is Super Junior D&E, and they didn't even I mention know. Okay, to be fair, I didn't notice that until I watched it the second time. Well, way to go. I thought you liked Donghae. I guess not. I did, but it was like, there's so many going on. Yeah, there was, there was a lot to cover. But like, aside from KRY, they really zoomed through all the units. Yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure, I think Super Junior M was like, spoken for like a few seconds and then moved on. Which is interesting because they were very successful subunits, except for, I don't know, maybe Happy wasn't, but the rest were really, really successful subunits. 
like when you're excited when they're talking about like the at the unit it's like they don't they're not afraid to get ugly or do whatever they want that's why like all the units did so well they're very adaptable people yeah that's why they were when they were zooming through unit that's why i know don't get i'm so sorry dne dong hey and unhyuk they're still active out of all the subunits they're the ones them and kry but dne more so at the moment so suju is basically super junior they're getting more and more awards and they're getting recognized. And there's a little bit more to episode one, but we'll get into that later. But we got to get to episode two first and talk about the concept of Super Show. Super Show. It's basically a Super Junior concert, but from how the documentary described it, it's not just a concert. Like members were had different talents and different aspects. So there's a lot of solo stages. Some were fun, some were too sexy, too much. <laughs> I said serious ballads and you're like too sexy. <laughs> okay, I was going to get there. That's where they started being as close to the fans as possible, right? Like it was more than just a car. They were like, what is that? Harnessed to fly around the, the arena, I think. Yeah. Yes. And then there was like, I remember this footage of like them on a scooter type thing and like just zooming through the crowd. Yep. Yeah. I remember one. I don't know what super show. You probably saw it. It's on The Sound of Music. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they did these kind of like parody songs. They did one where it was like, they're they were doing like Doe, Adir, that song from The and Sound then they, of they, Music. And they did um, like Sister Act. Sister Act, I Will Follow Him, which yes. was so funny because they're dressed up like nuns, basically, or like nuns. <laughs> nuns? Yeah, like nuns. So they had like these stages, these different stages. It's like not their songs necessarily. They did covers. I know Kyuhyun did Isn't She Lovely and like Huff the Magic Dragon, like random, the randomest stuff was going on. And then like they had like a Lady Gaga stage. Which Lady Gaga noticed herself. And then they had like all the single ladies Beyonce stage. So it's like not just yes. like a regular concert where it's just like we sing our songs and then we bow and leave. It's like we do all this other stuff. And some of it's really silly and ridiculous because they were never afraid to be a little ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And so they like SM basically encouraged that aspect of themselves. But then what happened was the year 2009 and Ash, I will give you the honors to tell everyone what happened in 2009. A certain song came out. Oh, it's sorry. Sorry. No. Yes. Sorry. Sorry. So this is okay. This is how I got into it. So I remember in like, what was that? High school, junior high. My friends were like, sorry, sorry. They're doing the dance. And I was like, what is this? <laughs> So I went home and I looked it up and then the rest is history. In case no one knows what you're talking about for the dance. So in Korea, when you apologize, you rub your hands together. So part of the choreo is like, so you rub your hands together. And it's such an earworm of a song. And the music video is also really cool, like black and white. And I think it looks slightly dated, of course. It looks very 2009, but it still just looks, it's still like fun to watch. And it still like holds up, I think. Right. The fact that the visuals, like as soon as I saw it again, I saw it somewhere. I don't know how. And then I saw it again. I was like, I know the song. I know the choreo. I know the visuals of the of the music video. And everyone, like truly everyone has covered it. Yeah, every generation of K-pop has covered it at some point, whether it's because they want to or like on a variety show. I think it's like for SM, it's like one of the dances they have to know. It's ironic because in later years, or like more recent years, Unhyuk has tried to take Sorry Sorry out of the rotation of songs. Like if they get invited to end of year award show, he'll be like, can we not perform Sorry Sorry? And they're like, no, you have to perform Sorry Sorry. Like, I think there was like one where they were like, fine, you don't have to. But then like the next time they're like, nope, you got to. Have you seen like those photos of like the, like the recent, like I think it was SS8 or 9 or whatever. 
they're like rehearsing sorry sorry and the members are like deadpan face and there's like barely movie there's like and the comments on twitter are like, like please like give them a break and th- this was actually too like so 2009 is like when like i think things were starting to become viral like like youtube existed in 2006 twitter i think maybe 2010 right. or something but things were just starting to become viral online so one of the things that was really viral was that prison where the prison inmates for whatever reason were outside do you know about that yeah i think it's i want to say it's philippines that's where the prison happened they're like in an exercise yeah. yard of a prison and the orange jumpsuits and they're dancing to i don't know why but they're dancing to start and that is another thing that i had seen without even being a k-pop fan at the time like in real time right and i was like what is going on okay they're dancing i don't know what's going on so this is the level of viral that they were going in a time when it was kind of harder to achieve virality. So after Sorry, Sorry, or also before Sorry, Sorry, a couple of things started to happen in their personal lives. A couple of members survived some serious car accidents. One person was Heechul. Mm-hmm. So I should also mention, actually, Dong Hae's father passed away, right? which was so sad. He was ill and so Heechul traveled, maybe other members did too, but when Heechul was traveling back to Seoul from where the funeral was for Dong Hae's father, he got in a really bad car accident and was hospitalized for a period of time. And they actually show, it was so sad, they show him filming his drama where like between takes, he's in a wheelchair, he's like holding crutches. Mm-hmm. Super Junior was filming a movie and like him and Ito couldn't be in it because shortly after that car accident, there's another much, uh, not more serious, but like more members were involved. Another very serious accident where Kyuhyun truly almost died. Itook mm-hmm. was severely injured. Shindong was injured. Unhyuk was like the least injured, but he was in the accident. And we're not going to go into it because frankly, it's really just so sad. But it's in the documentary. And so if you don't know about that, you can check it out in the documentary. There's also Super Junior started military enlistment service, which took them overall 10 years to complete. 10 years. Yeah. Can you imagine? I know. I mean, yeah, I missed most of it because I was a later fan. Like 2017, by that point, it was like Ryuk and Kyuhyun were enlisted and they were the last two. But I can't imagine yeah. like just being like, these people are all gone. It was hard. Like, I'm pretty sure my K-pop break happened then because it's like, you know, you're like, I was a teenager at the time and like having access wasn't like very much. Yeah. So I was like in and out of like K-pop during that time. You were in your 1D era. I get it. I get it. Let's not ever talk about that ever. This is not about Wendy. This is K-pop. This is K-pop bookshop podcast. It is. Thank you. Um, okay. So then what happens, unfortunately, really super, super sad. Itook suffers a really intense personal tragedy that we are not talking about because it is too much. But as a result of these various tragedies and also members are leaving. So Hangang stopped being a super junior member. Kibum had stopped being a super junior member. Kibum. Yeah, and Henry and Jomi were kind of getting hate sometimes. Mm -hmm. I don't really know the details exactly. So there was like a lot of like tumult and they went through a lot. And so to go through so many personal tragedies, like your member almost dying and like the thing that happened to Etuk. Right. And to like still be a group and, you know, they do so many things now, like they're on variety shows, they host various shows, they're MCs for shows, they participate in reality shows. They do so much. They all have YouTube channels. It's really cool to see, you know, definitely they're not perfect or anything, but they are resilient and there's something to be said for that. I think other groups probably look up to that aspect of them to just be like a longstanding group and to like 
and you know, you grow and change as a person. You you started in the group when you were what twenty one. You think he took and he took were like twenty one. Oh well, yeah, they're like twenty one. And now they're turning forty this year. So that is twenty years of life. Oh my god, I know. And imagine all the changes. Like you go from like your you know early twenties to middle age. It's like it's it's a huge accomplishment. And I like I would love to see so many other documentaries like Shiny and everybody. Uh, X yeah. EXO for I sure. I feel like Shiny would be like the next one. I hope they make one. And we do have other documentaries for other groups, but they're so unique at the moment because they're off course. Like TVXQ is technically still a group or like there's other second gen groups still there. Yes. But not everybody is as active as they are. And they're always on TV somewhere. They're always doing something somewhere. And then, oh yeah, their 10th anniversary, they created their own label. Well, sub label under SM, right? Yeah. Subsidiary label under SM called Label SJ. Oh, I really like what Yesung said at the end, like whenever it was wrapping up their thoughts. He said, even if I turn 50 or 60, I want to keep the attitude I had when I first started Super Junior. I think that's really, for lack of a better word, like, it hits hard. It's because it's like, you know, they're already, like you said earlier, they're already going to their 40s and they want to do it as long as they can. And I think the way Super Junior is now, you know, almost nearly 20 years into their job, I think they're going to do it. Like, I don't expect, I'm, I'm prepared to hear sorry, sorry when I'm 50. If you want to know, I'm 30. Hearing the members' final thoughts, like, yes, I was with something that I really liked. And then I remember telling you this one fan, and I agree with her, Super Junior was part of my teen years and 20s. I dare you to steal my 30s, which I know they will. They're coming for your 30s. They're coming for your 30s and your 40s and your 50s, probably. Okay, so to wrap up, Ash and I talked to some other elf from all around the world to get their feedback and thoughts about the documentary. And Ash, why don't you give us our first quote from Elf? Okay, so this comes from Emma from Sweden. So this is what she said. From an elf's perspective, this documentary is a good summary of Super Junior's career so far up to date because it's new material and updated. Super Junior has done documentaries in the past, so compared to the others, The Last Man Standing might not be my personal favorite, but it doesn't mean it's bad. I think the documentary is well-produced and has its own value. I think more than is at the serious side because they are in a stage in their career now where they have come so far, and they are older, feel more mature and secure about talking about difficult events in the past. Even if some of those moments are still, to quote-unquote, present such as like some of the accidents we've mentioned from a new viewer or not a super junior's perspective i think the documentary could be hard to understand sadly because there wasn't any there wasn't a very clear about timelines so this is something that i've noticed too like no year per section mm-hmm. and then she goes on and members names which i think is sad yeah they kind of brush past Sorry to interrupt you. I was going to say they kind of brushed past some of the members that are no longer really there. They were like, yeah, Sungman was a guy. Yeah. <laughs> and then to continue thinking about how this is a documentary that is accessible for anyone and is possible to see globally. Okay, I mean more, I was annoyed about it, even as a fan, because Eva Super Junior is not a new group. I still want people to discover them and understand their history properly. But overall, I think the documentary is nice. I laughed. I cried. It was chaotic yet serious in super junior spirit. Yeah, I think 
she has a good point that like it was yeah. a interesting documentary but if you like knew nothing about super junior you might have a hard time following right so much happened to them so much happened yeah i will read the next quote from michelle he so she says i'm michelle he i'm an elf representing canada and i've been an elf since 2015 as a fan of almost eight years watching super junior's debut on tv feels surreal I love that the members took the time to recall their observations and feelings. It's also surreal to watch footage from the old days in HD. One part that makes me proud is that Super Junior's Sorry Sorry is the first symbolic event of the smartphone era. The song goes viral because of fan covers and flash mobs across the globe, including the iconic Filipino prison exercise video. My favorite part in the documentary is when Elf from different ages and countries shared their thoughts and memories about Super Junior. It's heartwarming to see fans from various walks of life expressing how much Super Junior has made them happy. One thing the documentary threw me off that threw me off was the transitions. The way the parts jumped from one to the next was awkward and abrupt. For example, in the quote heartbreak section, I was confused when super shows in different countries came up. These scenes should be the in the showtime section instead. There were, should be more episodes too. I want to see more of Super Junior outside of Asia, especially North America. By watching this documentary, every K-pop fan should educate themselves about Super Junior. The pioneer group that paved the way for the Hollywood wave. They've broken the glass. <laughs> They've broken the glass ceiling in so many years, like being the first to have subunits, the member rotational system during their soldier duty periods. It's a miracle for them to stay this long, and I couldn't be prouder for them. I'm crossing my fingers for a second season of the documentary, but for now, I'm thrilled to see our last man standing on Disney Plus, one of the biggest streaming platforms in the world. She she made a good point because I forgot. I should have brought it up earlier. Like we both know, Super Junior did a lecture in Oxford, and I was there was like Oxford University. Seconds. Yes, there's like two seconds of literally just like four members taking pictures of students, and then it again. It wasn't until the second time I watched it, it clicked what it was, and I was like, it should have been like touched on more because that's a huge deal. Yeah, I think you know? their international relevance was kind of like bypassed. Yeah, oh for sure. They had more relevance in other countries than was necessarily illustrated. Mm -hmm. They're super huge to this day in Latin America, like super, super huge. Oh, yeah. If you are not following Super Junior, you sh you you're missing out. I mean, just hearing what the Latin American fans during their Super Show. I know, I know. Go to a Super Show if you can. That's that's the key. I know, I know. I still have to go to one. <laughs> okay, we'll go to one together. Do you want to read the next one? Yes. Yeah, so this is from Stephanie Fresno. The Super Junior documentary was very charming, and I thought it was funny how Lee Tuk said, and I paraphrase, they felt too young as a group to have a documentary yet. Facts. <laughs> Several of them discussed sticking around their 20th anniversary, and I believe Yesung yes said he imagined performing in his 50s or 60s. That really made me feel proud and emotional, thinking that I will continue to support them and see them perform long into my adulthood, even in my middle age. They are my comfort group. Oh, uh, yeah, I agree with that. My comfort group, too. I remember in school, my, like, comfort playlist is, like, any ballad they had. <laughs> <laughs> you know how I feel about ballads. I'm not into them. I know. That said, I will say, you know, I went to a super show in Korea, and there were a lot of older fans that you may not necessarily think of as K-pop fans, and quite a lot that I was next to were from Japan. So they already... Yes, they're huge in Japan. They're so huge in Japan. They have a lot of emo fans, which is auntie fans, and they have fans in their 50s and 60s already. So those who grew up with them when from their teens or their 20s will, you know, for sure, so probably still be their fans in their 50s and 60s too. 
Yeah, because I remember like going to Koreatown, like if some lady asked, like, oh, do you know PayPal? I was like, yeah, Super Junior. And she's like, oh, I know them too. So it's <laughs> kind of nice to see, like, even though there's a generation gap, they are a group that kind of spans that. Definitely. I will read the next quote, which is from Neil from the Netherlands. Neil says, the first time I watched the documentary, I got very emotional because they had to go through tough times to get to where they are now. So much competition, the anxiety to lose to another trainee to not debut. A lot of things in the documentary we already knew about, so some elf were a bit disappointed. But after watching, I find that it is a nice addition to what I already knew. And like they said in a YouTube video, they are called legends, but they are still alive. I don't want to have the last big documentary about their lives now. That's for something that's something for the future when they are really old and maybe inactive. For now, they are still very active in all fields possible. I just feel like because they're so close to hitting that 20 year mark uh-huh. and just like how much they've done, they just had to had to what? Do the documentary. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yes. Sorry. Okay. I'm like, I should complete my thought. I don't know why they were approached to do it, but I do think like already like we're what getting to fifth gen K-pop. So mm-hmm. that's three generations out of, you know, the generational system that we've got going in K-pop. So it's remarkable how active they are, how much they've been through. They could have just to debut the struggle to debut, I think is illustrative, like their whole lives. It's been a struggle yeah. has not been easy. And they faced a lot of stuff and a lot of times that people are like, oh, they're flops. They're this, they're that, but they still, they, they outsell. So they're not really, I will read the last quote as well. This is from Emma from the UK. So Emma says that she watched episode one and cried a lot. And then she says, watched episode one and cried a lot, like so much because it reminded me of those times. And also my own personal struggle with auditions, seeing them be open about their feelings and seeing Hyun cry just broke me. It was so cutthroat in the early 2000s and they were worked to death. I remember getting into Suju not long after the accident, and one of the first videos I ever watched was Q singing the song from Aladdin. This is a reference, by the way, to like a kind of viral video of him singing I Can Show You the World with, what What was the name? She was Therese Pimpenko. Oh, right. So like, if you're Filipino, you, you know about her, so we won't get into that here. Emma continues, it still makes me cry today. To think that we were that close to losing him, you can really feel the pain that they went through as a band and how much happened to them in the first years. Seeing Donghae talk about his dad hit me too. And just a reminder here that his dad passed away. She continues, I haven't seen him so open about it in a long time. Uh, Emma lost her dad last year. So please accept our condolences, Emma. Emma continues, I cried again. I remember how important it was to us as fans to make them number one. And that in the UK, it was hard to feel a part of that. I remember Sorry Sorry becoming the hit it became. And I remember when I finally got to see them for the first time. I've grown up with Super Junior. They have been there through my good times and bad. And it's thanks to their personalities and their music that I made it this far. Now I'm producing shows and festivals myself. Wow. Yay, Emma. Oh, yeah, with this last comment, there was a comment from a fan in the documentary. She, she, I think she was a translator or something. She worked hard because it's super junior to work into the entertainment business. I thought I was like, oh, that's cool. I actually anecdotally know so many fans or have met them throughout like, you know, just my fandom journey generally, that they were inspired through K-pop or specifically Super Junior because a lot of fans have grown up with Super Junior just by virtue of how long they've been active, like you. And so some people pursued their career in entertainment. They were inspired to do it because they're like, well, Super Junior is like my motivation to learn Korean well enough to become a translator, for example, or to become a producer, a stage producer like Emma. So, I mean, it just shows again, like how powerful they are (laughs) for their fans. And 
by the way, thank you to everybody who submitted. Yes, thank you. Yeah, we appreciate it so much. That was our documentary. I, I would say I recommend this documentary, especially episode one, if you're just interested in the history of K-pop and Hallyu and stuff like that. And you can skip, I think, episode two if you're not really that interested in Super Junior themselves. But then if you are an elf or Super Junior fan, then you for sure should check out the documentary on Hulu in the US, Disney Plus everywhere else. That concludes our Super Junior The Last Man Standing documentary bonus episode. Already? Already. Thank you so much. For those of you who don't know, Ash does help me with my podcast a lot and you guys don't know about it. So thank you for that as well. Of course, of course. And yeah, um, Ash and I will update you when we go to our next super show together. (laughs) Whenever that will be. Whenever that will be. Okay, well, thank you. Of course. Bye.